Well, hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to Kick-Ass Conversations with Louise and Kim. And today we are joined by Anya Khan of Rise Visible. We are so happy to have you here, Anya. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So we will give a formal introduction to who you are um, in just a little bit. But just like every week here, we want to start off. Louise, how do we start it off every week? We talk about celebrations and how our week is going. And I'm going to start. Yes, you are. Because <laughs> it's my birthday today. So I'm celebrating my birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, not a big uh, brouhaha. Um, I won't be hitting the pubs with, you know, 80 million other Irish uh, <laughs> worldwide um, with green beer today. But uh, it's uh, it's a celebration nonetheless. So here I am. It's a little pat on the back to say, right, here we go. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's what I'm celebrating today. I love that, like the world celebrates with you. <laughs> that's right. That, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so funny. I have a, I have a very, uh, vivid memory of three years ago, sitting in an Irish pub, uh, with no one else on this day. Um, not another soul. I was with two friends and there were, uh, there were, empty tables and one very lonely bartender. Well, it was 2020. Um, it was 2020 and uh, things shut down the very next day. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so that was like very unique um, to be in an Irish pub with no one else. <laughs> On your birthday. <laughs> On this day. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So weird, right? Yeah. All right. Well, happy birthday, Louise. Thank you. Here's to another beautiful revolution around the sun. Absolutely. Um, Anya, how about you? What are you celebrating today? Oh, geez. I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating something I shouldn't say, according to Kim. I'm celebrating budding, beautiful flowers outside. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was sitting here and I looked out and I noticed that, oh my goodness, there's tiny little white flowers. It just kind of happened out of nowhere. And I'm like, oh, it is here. It has arrived. And she's like, don't tell Louise. <laughs> As snow, literally a burst of snow just whited out my window. Um, so uh, where in the world are you, Anya? Sure. I'm in uh, Eugene, Oregon. Oh, nice. Beautiful country. Yeah. Nice. Beautiful. So, Cam yeah. I, well, I we all have something white outside our windows. Mine is more gray than white. It's a gray sky, <laughs> which really is wearing on me at this point. I'm not celebrating that. Um, I am celebrating a really good conversation with my husband. Um, it has been a energetically very challenging week and um, for me. And um, my husband just got home from a work trip and he was like, how are you doing? I'm like, nope. <laughs> and he he stuck with it. And he, he is here listening. I'm not saying this for his benefit. I'm saying this as this is truly um, I am I am grateful that after 16 years of being together, we continue to learn how to communicate with each other. We continue to learn more about ourselves and each other. And he just said, I love you. So I can't look over there in the chat comments because I'll start <laughs> crying. Um, but that it's it's even in a really shitty week that that little ray of sunshine can come out in a way that is, it's not magic and flowers and unicorns, mm -hmm. 
It's just peacefully talking to somebody that you love and feeling heard and seen. So that's what I'm celebrating today. It's beautiful. That is sunshiny. It is sunshiny. <laughs> On a gray, gray day. <laughs> On a very gray day. So, um, Anya, I am going to now tell the world who you are based on your bio that you shared with us, and then you get to tell us more about who you are. All right. So, Anya is the CEO of Rise Visible. With 24 years in the industry, she is a highly sought-after digital marketer, strategist, designer, and public speaker. Rise Visible was named a top-ranking woman-owned digital agency by Clutch and is a certified disability-owned business enterprise. Uh, Anya is also an internationally renowned artist, which I have to tell you, I was checking out her artist site um, earlier and ooh, some gorgeous stuff. Um, renowned artist and photographer and has been in over 300 exhibitions in 10 countries. She founded the nonprofit Create for Healing, is the host of the Rise Above Be Visible podcast. Um, she has been featured on Yahoo, Prevention Magazine, Authority Magazine, and Entrepreneur on Fire. She is also identified as a disabled business owner in STEM. Um, and I'm not going to do a disservice with the names of that. I will let you share your own story. Anya, we are so glad that you are here and sharing yourself and your talents with us today. Thank you. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. You're so very welcome. That's just lovely. Um, I want to hear about like your journey, your career journey and, and how you got to this place. I looked on your LinkedIn profile and uh, the, the path that you've taken to this digital unicorn space, um, I think is just it's just lovely. So can you share um, share a little bit about what that journey has been like for you? Sure. Let me let me try to shorten it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things. Um, so my journey into the space of being a digital marketer, web designer, uh, graphic designer, all of that part of it really wasn't something I had to focus on. So when I was younger, my my ideal job was to be a therapist. And that's, that was my passion. But unfortunately, during that path, things completely shifted. And how I got into what I'm doing today was really based in necessity. However, as I sit here right now, 25 years later, I feel like it was the right path. In the beginning, it didn't really feel like that because I was kind of pushed into making choices. And how I was pushed into those choices was while I was in school, um, I moved to a different state. I moved from Michigan to St. Louis, and I was trying to kind of start a new life. I came from a very challenging home environment, and I wanted something new, somewhere different, change of scenery. Um, the person um, I was really close to at the time was from there. So I was like, well, you know, maybe we should try. Loved it, got there, didn't realize in my teens just how epic it is to live in a different state not knowing the roads, not knowing, you know, where your grocery store is. I mean, it's, I like change and that was exciting, but it was also terrifying. And as this is where everything changed. So as I was on my way to go to a brand new job, I was doing dental assisting and that's what I did right out of high school. You in Michigan, you could do that without any sort of degree and you can make really good money. So that's where I was investing to go to college. And I was driving there. I got there. I was nervous. It was a new job. I was like new people, new state, new job, new everything. And I walked in and within the first 
I want to say it wasn't within the first 30 minutes. It was a very short time I was there. All of a sudden I heard somebody screaming from the break room and I ran to the break room and everybody was standing there watching 9-11. And I was already uncomfortable. I was already anxious. I already live anxious anyway, <laughs> you know? And my first instinct was just to ask to leave. I just said, can I leave? And they were like, uh, sure, I guess. Like, you know, no one knew what to say. And of course they, they were a group of people that knew each other. And I'm sure they understood that I felt like the outcast. I wasn't really interested in being like, yay, let's, let's have trauma together. I don't know you. <laughs> you know. So I went home and I started to volunteer at the Red Cross. I used the money that I had to kind of hold steady. And then when I tried to find new work, the dental industry really wasn't hiring because it wasn't a necessity, right? Like nobody was really like worried about the dentist right now. So I had a hard time finding work. And that's when I shifted into something I already knew, which was I had already been building websites for years. I had already been doing graphic design. I'd already been doing all that for fun. It was not at all like a job or even something I thought would be a job. It was for fun. I made music and I made my own CD covers and you know, I built websites for myself and my friends. And so I had to resource and I thought, well, maybe I can lean into that. Maybe there's some way that I could use that as a way to pay my bills. So I knew a friend in the industry and I knew a friend of a friend and I got an interview and they kind of laughed at me in a very nice way. Like, you know, like your portfolio stinks. I left feeling bummed and then I just went on my own and I just did my own. And I asked friends and family and I tried, you know, to find any way to get jobs. And I did that all through the next numerous years because also during that time, which was even more fun, I was dealing with health issues. So I was having these health crises coming up. And for me, I associated it with moving. I associated it with relocating, getting a job. I associated it with the World Trade Center. I associated it with high levels of childhood stress. And that was another reason why I had to shift because I couldn't just work a nine to five. I had to find a way to, you know, adapt. And so that's how I got here. That's where I'm at. And I have no complaints. I love what I do. It put me in a really good space, but I do love psychology. And that is my big love. And that's one of the reasons why I do that other project. Cause I still have to do something <laughs> you know, in that area. Um, I find it so interesting that, you know, oftentimes it, it, it are these little seeds that we already, we already have going on, right. That, that draw us or can draw us into a place where we may never have imagined. Right. And, and yet there's some, there's that spark or there's that connection somehow that can feed you and that can move you forward in that career. And, and like you said, like, like completely unintentional, but yet very intentional, right? Knowing what was going on in the economy, in the world, with your own health, that you had to make choices uh, around work that, that allowed work to fit into your life right? Knowing that you couldn't fit into that nine to five job and, and already, right? Like I talk a lot about turning the tables, right? Because we often say like how we show up for work and not how work shows up for us. And it sounds like you under all of these circumstances that were going on, were actually able to do that a lot sooner than a lot of people. 
Yeah, I think the funny thing about this is when I look at it, I've always been an entrepreneur. And I feel like sometimes I'm sure you guys maybe agree with this the universe sometimes just shifts your path for you, right? Like I just feel like sometimes that happens. Like you think you want something really badly <laughs> and the universe is like, no, you really don't. Like yeah. you don't, we're going to shut the door and then you're you're really upset. But then it comes to where you're like, oh, this makes all the sense. And when I look back, I have this picture of me when I'm, I want to say like six and I'm sitting at my grandma's table. I've got an old rotary phone. I've got stacks of um, wallpaper books. I've got a pen in my hand with, I think, Santa on the bottom of it, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm all like, hello, I'm an interior designer. And so. As I look back now, I feel like I've always been that person and I really wanted to be a part of something else and being a therapist wouldn't work for me. I'm too sensitive. I take it home. I can't detach in that way. So that job, if I would have progressed in school, would have probably been a detriment to me in the long term. And I would have had to probably pivot careers anyway. So the universe was like, no, got me early. <laughs> That's actually a question Kim and I do a lot in our workshops when we're when we're helping people kind of like reconnect with the work that they do. It's like, what did you do as a child? Right. Yeah. Where where were you? What were you doing? What did you enjoy? Um, because they're often it's all of these other things, all of the shoulds that kind of get piled on top of us, right? Like right. we should be doing this or we should be. Yeah. Lots of that. And when we can come back to like who we were as kids, we didn't, we didn't carry all of that. That's right. um, we weren't buried under that pile of should. That's well, and it's, it's so interesting because in the work that we do now, Mm -hmm. um, so independently outside of your kick-ass career, although we do it inside the collective as well, um, Louise helps, um, individuals who are pivoting in their career and I help mm -hmm. entrepreneurs who are pivoting in their entrepreneurial pursuits. So, um, it's, it's not necessarily a hard pivot for my clients, mm -hmm. but, but very often it's, well, I did this and now I want to do this. How do I shift that? That's right. Um, and so we, we're constantly pivoting if, if we give ourselves permission to. And That's I think right. it, it keeps us moving sometimes back towards who we originally were. And sometimes it's because we've opened ourselves up to, ooh, what did I learn new that, yeah, I really enjoy this. How can I follow and, and bring more of that in? Absolutely. And we need people like you guys to help people in those transitional periods. Because even for myself, being alone during that time was very difficult. And if I had somebody that could help me with that, that could help, you know, see the bigger picture rather than just being in survival mode at the time, you know, that's really helpful. Yeah. So, and it's oftentimes when we're in all of this constant change and flux that there's so much going on that we kind of like get stuck. We, we, we try to, we try to ground because we can't process all of the stuff that's happening, right? And so that kind of brings us into our topic a little bit today around like finding that that way to pull yourself out of the muck um, or to avoid some of the muck, um, right? It's one thing to get mud on your boots. It's another thing to be, you know, knee deep in quicksand. Um, 
I want to talk a little bit, Anya, about, you know, especially when you think about um, how you have navigated change. What are some of the things that rise to the top or, or bubble to the surface for you when you think about like what what pulled you through some of that chaos or that change? What what's that the the motivating factor or that thread that that rope that pulled you out of the muck? You know, I don't know if it's something innate in me or it was something I mirrored or mocked off of somebody growing up, but I've just always had this feeling of when something happens, you just have to do something. You can't, not making a choice is making a choice. And I think because the extreme amount of health challenges that I've had with, you know, these diseases that are very unknown and very complicated and affect, you know, the most important parts of my life. And then growing up, of course, in the challenging environments, there wasn't a choice for me not to pivot. I mean, there is a choice, you know, I could have during that career thing became homeless and I could have, you know, let it get to me. And that's a, and, and no judgment. I want to be clear with that. No judgment that I took that path because I was lucky. There were things that opened up. There were, there were other things that brought that to my attention and not everybody is going to have that. Right. Um, but knowing that in those dark moments that that's okay first, right? Like it's okay to be dark. It's okay to have a tough time. It's, it's really okay to feel the mud on your boots. Cause we live in a society right now that is so hyped up on toxic positivity. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Put your big girl pants on, put your big boy pants on, just move through it. And is there power in that? Of course there's power in that there's power in getting up and doing the thing, but there's also great power and being able to feel it, be there, know what's happening, accept it, be okay with the anger, the depression, the feelings, and then you got to get back up. It's just that that getting back up. It's it's that that small moment of just standing back up again. And I the quote that I love more than anything is a Japanese proverb and is fall down seven times, get up eight. Right? <laughs> So you just have to get back up and it doesn't mean it doesn't matter if you just get back up on your knee or you just get a little bit up on your arm a bit, you know, get back up. Doesn't mean completely get up, get your clothes on, soldier <laughs> on, go back out and fight the battle. Sometimes get back up just means sit up. It's, it's these tiny moments. And I think as people, we have this desire to go from one to the other so quick. Like, you know, we're grieving a loss. Well, you should just get over that. Well, there's a lot of in between. There's a lot of gray area that the world doesn't save space for. It isn't just, you're not doing well, you're doing well. It's like this gray area is so important for us to know that it's all a journey. It's okay to do that. And I think those are the places because I did have such challenges with people in my life who are very difficult on me and there was no gray area that I learned to give gray area for myself. You know what? It's okay today. If you know what? I just get out of bed. It's okay today. If I only wash a dish, it's okay today. If you know, it's, it's okay. And I think giving grace to women, I know men need this too. It's, it's not gender specific, 
but women live a lot in the space of like, you must have babies and you must do the dishes and you must go to work and you must do this because we are superhuman in some in some aspects of what we can do. I think if a man had a baby, they wouldn't live through it. <laughs> you know? um, but, you know, giving us the grace to not do. And the, the last piece I'll say is we also live in a society of burnout is a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It's actually going to deteriorate your health. It's going to ruin your relationships. And it's not going to do anything for you, but give you a pat on the back that you're going to seek dopamine and want more of that later. It's not worth it. So I think those are the things that I think about when I think about motivation or when I'm down in the dumps, how I get back up is like, I don't pressure myself. It's, it's okay to take your time. I'm a type A personality that's not easy for me. It's not, I don't live there easily. Just so you know, because some people are real chill. I'm not, I'm like, check the boxes, do the thing, get it done. And so for me to give myself some grace is an everyday effort to keep myself in that because I give everybody else grace, but I don't give myself grace. And I think we all know that, you know, with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. As high achiever, <clears throat> high achievers, people who are high achievers, high performers, we have a tendency to think we can just push through. And that's part of what's been challenging for me actually this past week is a recognition that for a long time, I've been operating in that space of, no, I've got this. I've got this. I'm fine. I've got this. Instead of leaning into and and allowing myself to receive, um, I've asked for help, which is great. That's a step up, right, from from the old former me that would not even ask for help. And yet it's the that where motivation comes into play is that that space between, yes, there are big things that I'm doing in this world. There are big things I want to do in this world. And to me, the motivation is how do I get to the end of today feeling a little bit better than I felt in the morning? That's right. Right. And that's okay, as you were saying. It's okay that that's my motivation for today because sometimes, again, going back to that, we're used to ticking all the boxes and getting it all done, performing at very, very, very high levels. Mm-hmm. And and as somebody who has dealt with burnout and who works with people dealing with burnout, it is not a place for us to thrive. It is not a place for us to even um, function, quite frankly. Um, we're just surviving. And so finding motivation in those times isn't about finding the, the big M motivation. It's, it's creating motivation to get the help that we need, to get the support that we need, and to keep moving forward on our terms, not on societies. So, yeah, it's the whole bigness of it all, right? Like, I think we think like we've got to just do it all, right? If we got mud up to our knees, we got to jump out of the mud puddle, shower, change, do our hair, get dressed, hit the road, like we got to do it all, right? And Anya, like you were saying, like, sometimes it is like, just like, do we maybe just get a toe out or, right? <laughs> just sit up, right? Right? Like, we don't have to do it all. But I, I think that we get stuck so easily thinking that the only way out is all the way out. That's and right. That it's not true. That's right. So what are some of the things that you um, say to yourself when, when you're trying to find that motivation and get through? 
So the things that I say to myself are often, usually the place where the motivation lacks for me is when I'm having a crash with my health or I have burnt myself to a crisp, which is a big thing I'm trying to break because for somebody who was bedridden for 11 and a half years, it's hard for me when I feel good. Cause obviously there's been a big shift in the last two years for me with the diagnosis and treatment and ability to, you know, be in a much better space to not go after everything that I feel like I didn't have before. Oh, and it's, it's, you know, it's hard not to overcompensate and be like, it's worth the burnout. Right. But it's not because I'm not 25 anymore. Right. That's fine. Back then. Now I'm, you know, I guess I don't want to say my age, but <laughs> I'm mid forties and I'm like, Oh, like this is real life growing old. Like I'm, I'm noticing my body can't do that anymore. And so the things that I really try to say to myself is just really nurturing calm things, things that I, that the inner critic doesn't say, I try to challenge the inner critic because there's, there's so much personal inner critic and then inner critic from my childhood, inner critic from the world, right? And it's just coming in and going, you know what? It's okay. Everything's, it's totally fine, right? But there's a, there's, I will say this, and this is not a good part of it, but I'm saying it because I think people need to know this is I'll say like, oh, it's, it's good and it's fine. But the other part of me is like, well, you're such a high achiever anyway, that you've already done so much. So it doesn't matter. Right. But that's not, that's not important. The importance is that I'm trying to talk myself down and, and really talk to myself. Cause I also think people that are high achievers or people that are extremely motivated, no matter what their reason is, even if they're not motivated all the time, but maybe they have these motivated moments is that this, this motivation is this like driving force of like who you are as an identity, right? Like this is your identity, you know, and, and how you achieve is not your identity. And that's been a big thing for me is trying to tell myself like achievement is not my identity. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. In the end, if I'm on my deathbed, what really matters? The relationships with people, the conversations I'm having like this, the way that we're helping the world, the community. It doesn't matter if I won this award and won that award and checked this box off and checked that box off and got my work day done five hours early because I've worked 10 times as hard or I've moved a 300 pound furniture on my own with my feet because I didn't want to ask anybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's what I do. I just try to be kind and just tell myself all the, the nice things and talk to myself like a person because we don't often talk to ourselves like human beings. We often don't look back and reflect back. Like they say, talk to your inner child, right? Talk to that little person, the person that was criticized or the person that went through all a lot of that challenging that brought those traumatic responses of over accomplishment, right? And then you have to like really be with yourself. You have to be with the uncomfortable. You have to be with it all and just accept yourself for the glory that you are, which is not sometimes easy. Every messy bit, illness, all of that. Like I didn't want to identify with my illness. I'll give you this as an example. I didn't want to. Didn't like to talk about it. Wanted nothing to do with it. Completely ignored it. And if you Google me, you vanity Google me, 
the first thing that pops up, I don't know if you've seen these on some comedy shows where famous people will put in their name and then they'll drop the list of all the things that people search, right? Mm -hmm. What are the top things? And of course I did that with myself. The first thing is illness and it sucks. Like it really does. Like, it's like, why would that, isn't there something more about me? But in the last two years and really in the last year, I've stepped into going, you know what, but it is me and I have to love every messy, screwed up, complex thing because we all as individuals are human beings that are broken in places and we're fragile in places and we're super amazing superheroes in places and all of those deserve to be loved and nurtured. And those are the, that's another space, I think, to kind of talk to yourself, like being okay with all of it, every bit of it. There's not one part of you, even the deepest, darkest things that you keep to yourself. They're all human and they're okay. And all worthy of love. That's right. Absolutely. As long as you're not hurting anybody or being crazy. Right. Well, there you go. Caveat. We just have to, you know. <laughs> Big asterisks there on that. I, right. I think we can leave the clinical diagnosis of sociopath <laughs> in its own box. That's right. <laughs> I think it's so interesting to, right, as you're talking, Anya, is oftentimes uh, I think we feel like motivation comes externally, right? Like there's like lighting a fire under your ass or, right? Like it's almost like that train, who, who's that trainer um, beside us that is driving us forward or, or moving us towards that goal. And sometimes that it, it, it's external. Sometimes it's that critic, um, right? That, that is pushing us forward. Um, but as you're talking and, and oftentimes I think we forget is that it's that fire in your belly, right? It's that, it's that warm place inside when you are aligned with your values, when you're aligned with who you are, that fire comes from a, a different place. It doesn't come under your ass, right? It comes from deep inside. And it gets- I had a taco. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it, it really is. It's a different kind of, of motivation that we're talking about, right? We're not talking about the cheerleader um, to motivate us. We're talking about like, like a deeper alignment that can pull us through some of those, those darker times. Absolutely. What's interesting that you, right, you said that it's not that cheerleader. It's also not that drill sergeant. Because yeah. Anya, as you're talking about that inner critic, that inner critic is very often the drill sergeant that is motivating us to do things, right? You right. suck. You got to get on that treadmill. You suck. You got to do It's like, right? right? I, right. And so that, that inner dialogue that can be intrinsically motivating sometimes can be intrinsically damaging. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I want to know, there's often this like, I think chicken egg scenario that comes with motivation and action, right? Mm. Does motivation cause action or does action cause motivation? Yes. <laughs> That's right. I'd agree. <laughs> Done. Next question. <laughs> we often feel like, like we'll sit here waiting to be motivated right? We can sit and just say, right, I am just not motivated to go out for a walk today <laughs> in any way, um, right? And, um, and so we we wait for this internal like trigger or this internal thing to spur us into action. 
when often it can be quite the opposite where the action itself can actually start that fire and get us motivated. That's right. I think both are true for sure. But I find myself because I go between both. I go between highly motivated to like an extreme level. And I think this is part of being neurodivergent, which is part of my disorders along with all these other health things. And I only learned about this this year. And I'm like, wow, okay, this is why my brain works this way. But I be I can be heavily motivated to the extreme level of not knowing what's going on around me. Like I'm just like three days into something and I did I eat whatever, or I could be a, a potato and I'm doing nothing and I can't even move. I'm just potatoed. I'm like, okay, I can't. And so in those moments, the potato moments, because it's very hard on me because I'm one or the other. I'm very extreme, right? It's mm-hmm. where I live. I'm either like my my um, executive functions working very well, <laughs> or it just doesn't work at all. And in those moments that it's not working, the one way that I do do it is I do kind of force myself to get up. And I, and not in a bad way, not like you must, not the drill sergeant way. Just like if I know I want to do something, like say I want to paint, but I just don't have the motivation to paint. I will say to myself, you know, if you just go out there and you just pick up a paintbrush and you grab a little bit of a paper and you just you know, play around with it a little bit. If in 10 minutes you're not feeling it, go back and chill out. And almost always I feel better and I move into a space of wanting to do something. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, this is where it's at. Because sometimes our brains, we're so busy. As human beings, we live in a world where we're very busy. And I think this is probably why motivation is an issue for a lot of us. Because, you know, 20, 30 years ago is very different. Now, you know, we have all this internet and all these things coming in and out and phones and text messages and emails and work emails and personal emails and communications and Snapchat and Facebook and podcasts. And I mean, there's just so much that I think that it actually affects our motivation because we have so much stimulus coming in that I feel like sometimes we're just overwhelmed by, by it. Are, are we're not able to process anymore. We have burned right. out all of those little synapses um, very, very often. Um, so there is, and it's escaped my mind right now, there is a psychological phenomenon that is true, that if you, once you are in action, you actually generally find the motivation to stay in action. And so you will continue moving forward. But it's that step, and this is this is somewhere that I know I have countless conversations about this every week outside of my own brain. I have these conversations with with clients and others in, in the industry where it is about how do we go from all this planning, all this thinking, all this stuff to then taking the step to, to be in action. And very often, Louise, with your question, very often we think we need to feel motivated to do that step mm-hmm. where it's just taking a leap of faith to get into action, then the motivation can come. And I agree. It's, it's sometimes that motivation is just strong, but when we're not like that, that's that maintenance part of it. How do we maintain motivation when it's waning? Because it's impossible to live at that state of, of being highly motivated all the time. And I think to me, it's my understanding of, of the, the brain and how we work as human beings is it is taking that action that then creates the motivation. So 
Thank you for asking the question. I love the potato. It is in the potato moments that get really tough to pull yourself up off the couch or to pull yourself up into a place where that you really want to be. Right. And this is what we're talking about. If you want to be on the couch, be on the couch. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But we're talking about when we feel like we're not in alignment, when there's something else we want to be doing and we're not doing that. Yeah. When we're ready we're ready and it's just not working. Right. Yeah. yeah. I've been like, I'm in a potato moment and it's okay. Be in a potato moment. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, I think we end up in a potato moment because we pressure ourselves to motivate ourselves too much. And then we become yeah. a potato. Right. <laughs> right. right. We've hit that level of overwhelm, whether it is, you know, physically, psychologically, energetically, we hit that level. <laughs> and, and we absolutely have to become a potato. And yeah. Um, I know for somebody, for myself, who I dealt with some pretty severe depression in my 20s, mm-hmm. finding the motivation in that context is is different than the type of motivation that we're talking about, totally. right? When, when there is a, and I'm saying this for those that might be listening, when there's a clinical reason why you're, why you've decided to be a potato, you're not, you haven't decided. Like, yeah. you, that's just, you, you are not physically capable to do something else. That's where you get help to find that motivation, mm-hmm. um, to, to help move you through that, that process. Um, this is that time where it's energetically, we, we just crash, um, or we are, we're just not feeling it. I mean, there are those times where we're not even crashed where it's just like, nope, not feeling it today. And that's okay too. If there's something that you want to, or need to get done at that mm-hmm. time, that's where I think we're saying is taking that step of action can be helpful to motivate you to move yourself forward. That's right. And if you are somebody who's, you know, dealing with depression or anxiety or things that are plaguing your life, which, you know, I've definitely been there too, and, you know, still live in the world of high anxiety. Um, it's totally understandable to be able to recognize when you need that help, right? Like if it's happening and you can manage it, but when it becomes unmanageable, and you start really being mad at yourself or it's affecting your relationships or if you're finding that certain things, it's not a poor reflection of you because sometimes motivation and all of those things does not revolve around how we're thinking out of it because sometimes we're chemically inept to function in a way that society or yourself believes that you should. And that's where sometimes pharmaceuticals can be supportive. Sometimes that's not a place. Sometimes it's you know, you need the right type of therapy or coach or something like that. But, you know, don't feel awful if you can't, right? If you really are in a place you're listening to this and you're, you can't, and you feel like you just really can't, then that's okay too. But there's obviously options and things that could help move through this. No one's really stuck anywhere permanently. There's always a place to get help. There's always something out there, even if you don't have friends or family There are professionals and people, even if you don't have money, there are programs. There's always a place to seek help. You're never alone in, in what you're going through. Yeah. It's, it's that self-awareness piece, right? That really helps you determine where you're at, right? How many, how many times, right? Are you not doing what you want to be doing? Um, How, is, is what you're doing impacting your relationships. Like we have to bring that self-awareness 
into the equation around, especially around motivation. What's, what's causing our, right? What do we think is causing that lack of motivation? How long has it been happening? Sometimes we even forget about that too, right? Like it just days go by, turn into weeks and months sometimes um, in a blink of an eye. Um, and then the opposite is true as well, right? If we are highly motivated and we're moving towards something, we need to be self-aware to make sure we're filling our energy bucket and we're taking care of ourselves so that we can continue to operate in a space that we really want to be in. Um, but it, 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 we got to bring it back to being aware um, of, of, of self and, and where you're at, honoring your energy level. Um, and, and making sure that your energy input is matching your output. So many good things that we've been talking about today in terms of, well, just in terms of a lot of things, but really thinking on through this lens of motivation, um, it comes from a lot of different places, right? We've talked about action. We've talked about energy. We've talked about uh, our well-being, our overall well-being and, and the importance of, um, being aware of ourselves, but also the importance of getting help when we need it. So um, I'm curious as we come come up to kind of the the end to our conversation today, what are our takeaways? What are our golden nuggets, um, those juicy little moments in our conversation um, that you're going to take and, and walk away with today? Other than the potato uh, moment, I'm going to use that often. Uh, I love that. Um, is it, it's very descriptive um, in just one word. Um, I also love what you said earlier, Anya, about learning to live in this gray area, that it's not all, always one or the other thing, right? Like there's this place that it's still like there's still color in the gray. It might not be as vivid um, as a sunshiny day, but there's still there's still a place to to play there, and and we don't always have to be just pushing through that um, to get to the other side. So I really loved that that just that idea of like how do we play and live in the gray um, because it's often where we're mostly right. It's not, and so yeah, I just really I really love that. I think for me, I think the conversation overall is a golden nugget because I think this conversation needs to be had more. Mm -hmm. And I think that people live with these emotions and they live dealing with, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, self-hatred or inner critic and all of that. And I think conversations like this are the golden nugget because people are going to see something and they're going to feel okay, they're going to feel better. They're going to feel seen, kind of like you had said, seen, heard, understood, not alone. Because the more that we speak about these types of conversations, the more that we pull the veil away. Because like you had said, Louise, earlier, it's all about being self-aware. Well, sometimes we're not self-aware. And then when we hear something, we then become self-aware, yeah. right? We don't know everything. But we hear things and that's what lifts the veil for us. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in mine, Anya, is something that you said when you said achievement is not my identity. Um, I'm sure I've said something along those lines, but just you said it so beautifully that way. Achievement is not my identity. And um, I know for me that that um, definitely is something that – I worked for a really long time um, to get over that that I didn't have to have 
I didn't have to achieve to, to be me. Um, and, um, I am going to, you know, you can trademark it if you'd like, but I will definitely share it with, um, with my clients as well, who I know, um, struggle with it because it is, again, it's that we, I'm not going to say every woman because not every woman identifies as somebody who is high achieving, but most women I know, and it could just be the women I know, um, do identify as high achieving and breaking that, it, that idea that we have to operate in that space and be motivated constantly to achieve is, um, it gets to the core of identity. Like if I'm not that, who am I? Um, and so that, thank you for those just beautifully eloquently said words that, that, um, I'm going to take with me today. I love that. Thank you so much, Anya, for joining us today and Kick-Ass Conversations. Um, really, really um, appreciate you being here and sharing with us. Um, can you let folks know where they can find you? How can they get in touch? And what do you got going on in the world? Sure. So you can find me under my name, Anya Khan, A-U-N-I-A-K-A-H-N, on any social handle. And you can find my business, Rise Visible, R-I-S-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E, on pretty much every channel as well, social and web. And yeah, I'm just very thankful to have had this opportunity to have this conversation and to be here. As for things going on with me, just being happy, being alive every day. So that's huge. It really is. That's huge. Yeah. Louise, what do we have going on? We have all kinds of things going on. <laughs> I don't know how much time you got. <laughs> well, I know we have one thing going on next week. We have our dear is friend that Sarah. Next week? That is next week. Wow. So, um, Anya, we were talking before about our previous podcast. So, yeah, Sarah yeah. Dole, who is joining us next week, was one of those five. Oh, cool. um, uh, hosts of the Best Parts podcast. Um, so we're excited to be talking with Sarah about looking back to move forward, which I think fits with having a conversation with a dear friend who is a former co-host with us with our last podcast. So um, we're excited about that conversation. We did recently close the doors to um, this current cohort for the Kick-Ass Collective. Um, but if you are interested in learning more, um, you being the world interested in learning more about uh, your Kick-Ass Career, you can hop on over to your kickasscareer.com, find out how you can start to um, build a Kick-Ass Career for yourself. Um, Anya, again, thank you so much. Continue doing such amazing stuff in the world and just being your beautiful, radiant self. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah. Take care. All Thank right. you. Bye, everyone. Bye for now.